It's an incredible honor and privilege to come and uh, be able to share with you this morning and have a, just a time to open up God's Word and to encourage you, uh, bring you greetings from uh, the West Virginia Convention of Southern Baptists and very thankful uh, for the partnership that we have with churches here in West Virginia and what we can do to reach uh, people for the gospel. People ask me all the time, why did I come to West Virginia? And the answer is because West Virginia needs Jesus. And there's a lot of people in our state without Christ. And I, I know there's a lot of people in New York City and Chicago and Los Angeles and places like that. There's a lot of lostness on the other side of the world. But uh, there's a lot of lostness right here. There are a lot of people that you meet uh, that are without Christ. And so I came as a, a missional call uh, to uh, help equip our churches, encourage our churches about uh, reaching people with the gospel. I'm honored that uh, you would ask me to come and lead in these services, and I'm excited to be here. I love this part of our state, very pretty part of our state. I love Moundsville been here uh, several times uh, on numerous occasions, so I'm thankful to be back. Uh, you probably have recognized that uh, there are some people uh, that think that I have an accent. Uh, <clears throat> I am Appalachian by, by heritage. My family came to the United States. The earliest birth record we have of my family is 1756. And so uh, I'm assuming they were here uh, several years before that. But So my family has been in the United States a long time, been in Appalachia, you know, for a number of centuries now. But uh, so I, I come, by, come by the accent honestly, but I want you to understand that this is how all of us are going to speak in heaven. <laughs> Let me biblically lay this out for you. We know that Jesus was baptized by a man by the name of John the Baptizer or John the Baptist. Uh, the Bible tells us that John came out of the wilderness. If you will look at your biblical map, you will notice that the wilderness is in the southernmost part of Judea, of the region of Judea. So actually, he is John the Southern Baptist. <laughs> I'll let you all think about that and ponder on that for a little while. Keep your Bibles open to 1 John 1, nine. We're going to look at that in just a minute. One of the most powerful experiences, emotions that we have in life <clears throat> is that emotion of guilt. You know, guilt's a really funny thing, isn't it? There are two kinds of guilt that we experience. There's the real guilt that we have. That's when you disobey God, when you step away from God's Word. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit comes and He convicts us. John 15 gives us a very clear picture. John 14, 15, and 16 give us a very clear picture of the work of the Holy Spirit. That one of the things that He does is that He comes to convict us of sin. And so when we step away from God's Word, when we disobey God, there is that emotion, that response of guilt. That's how the Holy Spirit speaks to us. Biblically, we call it conviction. But we also know that Satan counterfeits everything that God does. And so within the realm of real guilt, there is then that self-imposed guilt. Self-imposed guilt is that guilt that we feel when we don't measure up, when we're not enough, when, when things happen to us and we don't understand and we blame ourselves for those things, even though we may not, may not be at fault. 
if guilt causes you to run to God, and it brings you to the cross, then it has fulfilled its purpose. But what happens is that even when we experience the guilt that God gives us, when we experience that conviction of the Holy Spirit, because it is in the midst of that spiritual battle, that spiritual warfare, oftentimes instead of running to God, we run away from God. And when you run away from God, then you become overwhelmed by the things that you have faced in life. See, some of you have never become what God wants you to be simply because you, every Sunday that you come, you carry a backpack filled with the stuff of your past. Things that you did, things that you caused, events that happened in your life, things that you were not uh, subject to, not were, we're not at fault over, but you still feel guilty about that. You've gone through a broken relationship. You've gone through uh, a, a failed situation. You, you know how it is. All of those things that we face. And oftentimes we carry that with us every Sunday. And we never become what God wants us to be simply because we are overwhelmed with guilt. The good news is, you can be set free from guilt today. The choice is going to be yours. I'm going to lay out for you from the text, from the Scripture, what God says about that and how you can be set free from guilt. But you have to make the decision. You've got to choose and decide, do I want to be set free? There was an appeal to join the choir. There are some of you that are saying, well, you know, I can sing, but I'm not worthy enough to be able to sing in the choir simply because of the things that have happened in my life. Well, you want to be set free? You want to be able to serve? You want to be able to become everything that God wants you to be, to have everything that God has for you as a believer? Take note of what the text says to us. Very simply, John writes this text. Now, this is written to believers. Understand this. This is a text that is written to us as Christians. And he says this, If we confess our sins, He, meaning God, is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How can you and I be set free from guilt today? Let me share with you three simple steps. Three things. Number one is, you want to be set free from guilt, you need to admit your need. Admit your need. John says, if we confess our sins, that word confess means to speak the same thing. It is that point of honesty that you and I have to come with the things that have happened in my in our lives, whether it is real guilt, whether it is self-imposed guilt, whether it is that spiritual warfare guilt, whatever it is that is in your life, you come to that point to say, God, here is where I am spiritually. See, the problem is, we know how to play the game, don't we? We would come to church on Sunday, we know how to look, we, we know the spiritual language, most of us know the, the Christianese. We know how to say, well, I'm blessed, I'm happy, I, you know, all the things that we can say about the Christian life and about who we are. We're on the inside, on the outside, we act like everything's fine. On the inside, we're dying. 
Because our heart is filled with things that we just don't know how to get rid of. Well, it is that point that we come that we say, God, here's where I am spiritually. It's a difficult thing because many of you probably have been members of this church uh, for many, many years. Many of you have, have been Christians for many, many years. And there's a certain level of atmosphere that we put on for ourselves impression that we give of ourselves. You know, if I've been a Christian in this church a long, long time, there's a certain expectation that people have of me, and I have a hard time getting honest with where I am spiritually, because this is where everybody expects me to be. In a moment, we're going to have an invitation. The reason why I always give an invitation when I preach is because I believe that the the Word of God is powerful enough that God speaks to our hearts as the Word is being shared and the Holy Spirit begins to speak to us and convict us and call us to respond. And sometimes that response is something that we make where, where we'll be standing singing that hymn of invitation and we can make that response right there. But sometimes there is a, a public acknowledgement. You know, sometimes you just got to get alone with God. The difficult thing is, when you've been a Christian for a long time, it's hard to make that public response, isn't it? It's probably hard for all of us, because here's, here's what we're thinking. Everybody's going to think, well, I wonder what's wrong with him. I wonder what, wonder what she did this week. It must have been really, really bad if she's going to come forward, not realizing that there's not a one of us in this room today that shouldn't be flooding this altar even this very moment. Because we've all experienced things. You see, it's that choice that we have to make to come honest with God to admit our sin. He says to confess, if we confess our sins. The word sin is the most prominent word that Paul uses or or that the Bible uses here in the New Testament uh, for sin. It, It is a word that means to miss the mark. You find it in Paul's writing, you find it in John's writings, you find it very often throughout the New Testament. It literally, it's just a word that means to miss the mark. Those of you that are teachers know this. It's a, it's a picture word. It's a picture of, a, of an archer with a, a bow and arrow. And as he pulls back on that bow and he seeks to shoot at the target, it's not just that he misses the target a little bit to the right or a little bit to the left, but it is that as hard as he pulls back on that bow and he lets go of that arrow, the arrow is falling short. Paul says, for all have sinned, same word, and have fallen short of the glory of God. See, the measuring stick for us this morning is not, well, as I look at my life and I look at what I've done and I look at where what's going on in my life, I'm really a lot better off than most of the people in this room. The comparison is not with other Christians. Paul says that it is falling short of the glory of God. So the measuring stick is the very essence. When the Bible speaks of the glory of God, it is the revealed essence and character of who God is. That when we compare ourselves to who God is... All of us fall short. None of us measure up to that. And so it's coming to that point to say, God, here's where I am. Here's the honest point of where I am spiritually. You want to experience revival, aren't you? set out several days for revival this week. Well, I'll just tell you, revival cannot be manipulated. 
Just because we say, well, we're going to have these few days of revival, revival will come. That doesn't guarantee revival comes. Revival comes because it is a movement of God who responds when God responds to the hunger of His people. And so it starts with us to say, God, here's where I am. I'm going to get honest with where I am spiritually. God, this is what I need to have happen in my life spiritually. Uh, I read a story some years ago about a little boy that had stuck his hand in a in a vase and couldn't get it out. I think uh, it was an expensive vase, so it would be called a vase. Uh, at least that's what my wife explained to me. And so she, he couldn't get his hand out, and his parents did everything. You know, it was a family heirloom, did everything they could to get his hand out of the out of the vase, couldn't do it. And so they finally very gently broke the vase, only to discover that the reason why he couldn't get his hand out it was because he had it wrapped around in a fist around a nickel. Now, when I read that story, and I have a feeling that it's not true, the first thing I thought was the boy wasn't too smart. Because all he had to do was tip the, the, the vase over and the nickel would have come out. But probably whoever was writing the story, it would have ruined the story. The point is, you know, he was holding on to something worthless and destroyed something that was invaluable. That's what we do with sin. We hold on to something. I don't know what it is in your life that you're holding on to. But what happens is we hold on to something that is worthless and we miss out on the invaluable blessings that God has for us. So we start by saying, God, I'm going to confess. I'm going to admit. I'm going to say this is where I am spiritually. Second thing. You say, what else do we need to do? If, I, if I'm going to get free from my guilt, you've got to admit your need. Number two, you've got to trust God's character. John reveals to us that there's two aspects of the character of God that we need to trust today. Number one, it says He's faithful. Number two, that He is just. To be a faithful God means that He is a covenant God. It means that you can always count on God. He is the God who is trustworthy. In the Old Testament, God is called the God of covenant. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9, many other passages. Meaning covenant God, meaning that He is the God of promise, that He is the God who is faithful, a God who can be counted on. There's never been a time in our lives that God has ever let us down. Now, I realize we say, well, but I think in this situation, God let me down. If you will look back on that situation and see what God has done, you will see that God is always working in the midst of the things that go on in our lives. He is a faithful God. Here's the question I think that, that many of us ask today. We say, well, I believe that God can forgive. But the problem is, can God forgive me? See, we believe corporately in the forgiveness of God, don't we? For God, you know, God so loved the world. We believe corporately in the love of God. We believe that when, it, when the Bible says of the forgiveness of God, yes, God forgives. But where we wrestle is, but God, here's what I've done. Here's what's going on in my life. Here is my failure. Here is my sin. Here are the things that have happened to me. 
And I don't know if God can forgive me. Well, you see, what you have to remember is that the forgiveness of God is not based on anything that you have done. Again, Paul says that the way that we are saved, that we are saved by God's grace, not of our works. So it's not a matter of anything that we do. It's not about whether or not we walked an aisle, whether we got baptized, whether we joined the church, whether we pray, whether we read our Bible, whether we try real hard. None of those things matter in the kingdom of God, in the realm of salvation. Now, all of those things are important, but all of those things are things that we do after we follow Christ, not in order to follow Christ. Don't ever mix works in salvation, because salvation is based solely on Jesus. So when you start wrestling with, can God forgive me, remember that salvation and forgiveness is not about you at all. It's all about God. Why? Because God is faithful. Second characteristic of God that you've got to trust is the characteristic of His justice, that God is just. Some of you may have a a translation that says righteous. It's the same word. To be just means that God, when God deals with us, He doesn't deal with us uh, through any bias. It's the idea that when God forgives, when God judges, whatever God does, He does it solely based upon a characteristic of justice and righteousness of who He is, not based upon anything else. So here's where we struggle. We say, well, I know that God forgives... But I wonder if God forgives the way that you and I forgive. You know how we forgive. We say, well, I'll forgive you, but I'll never forget it. You know how that is? You know, somebody messes up and we say, well, I'll I'll forgive you. And then sometime later they mess up again and we not only remind them of the time they messed up then, but then we go back to where we messed up the first time. There's, there's that issue. We're always trying to, to keep things above people. We remember those things. Well, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that God takes our sin and He remembers our sin no more. That He casts our sin into the deepest part of the sea. That He casts our sin as far as the east is from the west. Now, I want you to see the image of that for a moment. You realize you can get in an airplane, and you can begin flying south, and eventually you'll begin flying north, and then you'll fly south again. But if you'll get in an airplane and you start flying east, you'll always fly east. You'll get in an airplane and fly west, you'll always fly west. And so the image that God is picturing for us there is as far as far of a distance between two points is the distance that God places between us and our sin through His forgiveness. So what you've got to do is to come, stop trying to see the forgiveness of God based upon your goodness, based upon your worth, based upon what you have achieved, and begin trusting God and saying, God, I know that you can forgive me regardless of what I've done because of the character of who you are, that you are faithful and you're just. Here's the last thing. You say, well, what else does it require to be free from my guilt? All right, start out. You've got to admit your need. You've got to be willing to come to grips, get honest with God today. Number two, you've got to trust 
God's character, the last thing is you need to believe God's promises. There's two promises that God makes to us here. He says, if we confess our sins, the character of God is that He is faithful and just. The promises of God is that He will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He will forgive and He will cleanse. Those are the two promises of God. I want you to think of this. Everett Storms, mathematician, counted up all of the promises in the Bible. He said there are 8,810 promises you find in the Bible. 7,487 of those promises are promises that God made to man. Some of those promises are promises made uh, corporately to a nation such as Israel. Some of those promises were promises made specifically to one individual. But the vast majority of those promises are promises that God makes to us as human beings, to, to, to humanity, that He makes to His people, that He makes to believers. And do you realize that in every promise that God has intended to keep, to make, and to have, that would be fulfilled to this point, every single promise has been fulfilled? There's not been a single promise God has ever made that He has yet to fulfill. Now, there are some promises that have yet been fulfilled, yet to be fulfilled, that are going to be fulfilled in the future. But understand that every promise that God has made, God has kept. Well, here's two promises He makes. One is that He forgives. That word forgive is is another picture word that you find both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. In all actuality, in the Old Testament, there are four primary words that are translated as uh, forgiveness. In the New Testament, there are four primary words translated as forgiveness. The two words that are used the most, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, carry the same meaning. It means to send away. You go back in the Old Testament where you see the picture of this, the image of this is on the Day of Atonement. The most sacred day for the Israelites was, was called the Day of Atonement. Uh, that with the Passover, the, the Day of Passover was a very sacred day, but the Day of Atonement, very sacred day. That was the day in which they, they gathered together, and whether they were, they were into the wilderness or once they built the temple in Jerusalem, the high priest would come out into the courtyard. Into the main, in, into the main courtyard. There in the courtyard, there was a, a, a golden bowl where he would wash himself, and then there was the, the golden altar. First thing the high priest would do is that he would take a young bull that was waiting for him, and he would sacrifice that bull on that altar. He would gather the blood of that bull in a bowl. And then he would immediately go into the temple complex. The outer part of the temple complex was called uh, the holy place. Inside of the holy place, there, there were several pieces of furniture. The, uh, the table of showbread, the lampstand, uh, the altar of, uh, of, of incense, all representative of Christ, that He is the light of the world, He's, he's, he's the bread of life. All of those things were pictures of, uh, of Christ. But He would go through the holy place. There was a large curtain that separated the holy place from a second place. They, remember in the New Testament it talks about when Jesus died, that the veil in the temple was torn from the top to the bottom. That's, that's this veil that's mentioned. He goes behind that curtain... And there would be waiting for him a single piece of furniture. It's called the Ark of the Covenant. 
The Ark of the Covenant was made out of acacia wood overlaid in gold. On the inside, you had uh, a pot of manna, you had a copy of the Ten Commandments, and you had Aaron's rod that budded. On the outside, there were two cherubim. The cherubim were not, as some artists try to render, some little fat guy with, with wings. They were mighty warriors of God. These, these were those that protected the very glory of God. They oversaw and protected God's glory. And as they formed with their wings, these two cherub would form what was called the mercy seat. The word mercy seat is also the word atonement. That's where this comes from, the day of atonement. The high priest would go into the, the Holy of Holies, And seven times he would sprinkle that blood onto that mercy seat, seeking the forgiveness of God for his own sins. He would then go back out into the courtyard, and there would be waiting for him two goats. They would cast lots. He would take one of the goats. He would sacrifice it on the altar. He would gather that blood in a bowl, and he would go through the holy holy place into the Holy of Holies, and he would sprinkle the blood seven times onto the mercy seat, seeking the forgiveness of God for the sins of the people. He would then come back out into the courtyard, and there would be waiting for him the second of the two goats. He would lay his hand on his hands on the head of the goat, and he would begin confessing the sins of the people onto the head of the goat. There would be an individual chosen who would then take that goat out into the wilderness to be left never to return. He would be sent away. The goat became known as what? Scapegoat, exactly. You pass. You get to go to lunch. The rest of you all have to stay. (laughs) The scapegoat, that's where that term comes from. It was the image. When we think of the forgiveness of God, it is that God takes our sin and, and these sins are confessed and it is sent away from us, never to return again. That's what God is promising. You see, that, that's what, why we can be set free from guilt, is that God is saying, based on what Christ has done on the cross, the death of Jesus on the cross is enough. One of the questions I get, I get asked by people who don't know Jesus, they say, why did Jesus have to die on a cross like that? Why did He have to die such an awful death? It is because sin is such an awful thing. It is the substitutionary atonement of Christ. That's the biblical term or the theological term. The penal substitutionary atonement of Christ. Penal meaning that He took our guilt, that He suffered for us. That all of our sins, Paul says, that He became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. That's what God did for us. Well, you see, when you accept Christ, when you trust in Christ as your Savior, turn from your past, confess your sin, repent of it, say, God, I don't want that anymore, and you trust in Christ, the immediate response of God is a promise of His forgiveness. But there's also a second promise, and that's the promise of His cleansing. See, not only does He forgive us of our sins, same word, if we confess our sins, He forgives us of our sins, but He cleanses us of 
all unrighteousness. David Allen says that this word means to purify and cleanse from the consequences of sin, namely guilt. See, here's the other problem that we have with the issue of guilt. Not only we wonder, can God forgive me? But let's be honest, here's the most difficult part. We have a hard time forgiving ourselves. We say, I know God can forgive me because He's God. But the stuff that we've done and the way that we've failed and the way that we've disobeyed God, and, and some of it, a lot of it is, is even after we become believers. But sometimes we fail miserably as Christians and we say, well, you know, I, I know that God could forgive my sin before I became a Christian, but since I've become a Christian and, and I've failed in this, in this miserable way, I just don't know if God... I, you know, I struggle with, can God forgive me? But where we struggle is, I cannot forgive myself. Here's a relationship that has failed. Here's a situation that, that has had serious consequences. Here's issues in my life. And we struggle with that. Well, what God says is we will come to Him and honestly, get honest with God today. Don't worry about what everybody else thinks. Don't worry about what anybody else says. You get honest with God today. And say, God, here's where I am. Here's the game that I've been playing spiritually. Here's the sin that I've been hiding. Here's all the baggage that I've been carrying every Sunday. And God, I'm tired of carrying this. I'm tired of being this kind of Christian. I want to be set free. And God, I know that You're faithful. I know You have never let me down. There's never time, never a time in my life that You've ever let me down, that You'll ever let me down. And God, I know that You will deal with me justly. That Your justice in my life is not based upon what I've done. It is based on, on what Christ has done on the cross. And God, I'm going to believe what You say. That God, You're going to forgive me. And God, You're going to remove that stain. You're going to cleanse me from all the unrighteousness that is in my life. Not because I earn it, not because I deserve it. It is a matter of the mercy of God. You see, we come and we fall upon the atonement seat of Christ. We fall upon the mercy seat of Christ. That God doesn't give us what we deserve. And we say, God, I trust and I believe that. And if You will do those things, The promise that God makes to you today is that you can be set free from your guilt. The choice is up to you. You can keep coming every Sunday carrying the stuff that you've been carrying. Or you can take the very simple plan that God has for you and say, today is a new day for me to begin a new day to be free from my guilt. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank You that that You are this kind of God. That You are this good God. That You love us so magnificently that You desire to set us free. God, You could keep us enslaved to our past. You could keep us enslaved to our failure. But Father, Your desire is that we be set free from our guilt. And so, Lord... May we respond appropriately for how you desire to move in our lives. 
Lord, remove from us the pretense, remove from us the hypocrisy, remove from us the games that we play, remove from us the mask that we wear. And teach us today, Father, to be totally and completely honest with You. And it's in the name of our Savior Jesus, the One who died for us, the One who forgives us, that we pray. Amen.